0: Issues and we may still. Oh no, we are. We are on camera.
1: camera.
0: Um, earlier, so we're moving now on to item number three on the agenda, which is apologies, and we don't have any apologies this morning. Um, and just would like to welcome to um, the committee Mervin Story, who has um, taken over from Gordon Dunn, and we, we would like to thank Gordon for his work on the committee and wish him a, a speedy recovery as well. So moving on then to item number four. Um, There is a copy of the draft minutes from the meeting held on the 23rd of March at page 29 of your packs. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Thank you. Okay. Um, There is a copy of the draft minutes from the meeting held on the 24th of March at page 40 in the pack. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And then there is a copy of... The draft minutes from the concurrent meetings between Economy, Infrastructure, and ERA committees held on the 24th of March, at page 44 of your pack. So, are members content that those are um, an c- accurate reflection of that meeting? And those minutes also have to be agreed by the other committees. So are members content?
1: That should be happening. Okay, thank you, Chair. I, I just did notification of apologies from Mr. Storey.
0: Okay, thank you, Peter. So moving on then to item number two on the agenda, which is our briefing from the department and Fibrous on Project Stratum. There is a departmental briefing paper at page five of your pack and a presentation from Fibrous at page 13. Um, Just also to remind members that the clerk emailed um, a memo regarding the session to members yesterday that wasn't included in the pack when it went out. So just to welcome to um, this morning's meeting... uh, Geraldine Fee, Director of Tourism and Telecoms and DFE, Nigel Robbins, Project Director at DFE, Trevor Forsyth, Project Manager at DFE, Connell Henry, Chairman of Fibris, Dominic Kearns, Chief Executive of Fibrous, Shane Haslam, Project Director of Project Stratum for Fibris, and Steve Edwards, Project Director, Project Stratum for Fibrous. So if I hand over to yourselves to make an opening statement and then we'll bring members in for questions. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you. Um, members, thank you very much for the invite to address the committee today. Uh, just by way of Connell Henry, I'm the founder and chair of Fibrous. And after me, you'll hear from Dominic Kearns, my co founder and CEO. Dominic will give members a picture of the overall plan for Stratum or for Fibrous and the progress that we're making against that plan. Then Steve Edwards, our Project Stratum Programme Director, will outline the Stratum rollout plan and try to give you a sense of the challenges involved in that rollout and how we're addressing those challenges. Then you'll hear from Shane Aslam, who is our Commercial and Projects Director. Shane will give us the details on how we are engaging with local communities and with the wider market to make sure that Stratum has the impact that we all want it to have. And after you've heard from Shane, we should have plenty of time for questions and answers. So just before hearing from the team, I thought it would be useful just to remind ourselves about what this is all about and why it's important. Broadband is a generational infrastructure. About once every century, there comes along a new infrastructure that transforms the way we live our lives and form our society. In the 18th century, it was canals. In the 19th century, it was railways. And in the 20th century, it was electricity. Fiber broadband is the generational infrastructure of the twenty-first century. It can and it will transform our society and our economy. High-quality broadband changes everything. It changes the way we educate, the way we interact, it changes the way we transact, and increasingly, it's transforming the way we care for our most vulnerable. Yeah.
1: The, the, the slides that you're um, showing, the the initial one said commercial and confidence. Now we're in an open session here. Um, so your um, uh, your your slides are being broadcast. Is that Dominic? Uh, Dominic. Uh, I think
4: I think it's okay, Connell. There's nothing commercial within the slides. Right? Uh, okay. Okay. okay yeah, yeah, thank uh, you. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for thanks for checking in on that
3: because yeah, stuff like that can happen. Um, so what, as I was saying. Um, High-quality broadband changes everything, changes the way we educate, it changes the way we interact, it changes the way we transact, and increasingly it changes the way we deal with our most vulnerable. Um, because, fundamentally, access to broadband is about access to goods and services, broadband is most beneficial then to those who previously had least access to goods and services, and that is our poor and those people living in rural and regional communities. And yet it is those regional and rural communities who stand to benefit the most from broadband that have been left behind by the rollout of broadband by the TV and phone companies. That's why Dominic and I founded Fibrous. We're a regional broadband company building 100% fibre broadband networks. We don't have a legacy copper network that we use to sell broadband. And crucially, we're focused only on rural and regional areas. Not a penny of our $350 million investment program for Northern Ireland will be spent connecting homes in Belfast or Derry. As part of, of this program, we have convinced InfraCapital to, to come and to invest in Fibrous and in Northern Ireland. InfraCapital is the investment arm of M&G PLC, one of Europe's largest investment managers with almost $370 billion of assets under management. Working with my team, InfraCapital are excited by the potential of Northern Ireland as a place for investment. Finally, I wanted to say a word about the Stratum process and the Stratum team under Nigel Nigel Robbins. The Stratum process has been conducted by the book, on time, and in a professional and expert manner. In a process such as this, delivering on schedule and without significant challenge is not the norm. One only needs to look at the significant delays and arguments associated with R100 in Scotland and the National Broadband Plan in the Republic of Ireland to show how such delays can infect the project and fundamentally undermine and frustrate the policy objectives. So the combination of stratum being procured on time and fibres delivering stratum on time means that Northern Ireland has quietly leapt to the front of the queue of places most likely to deliver 100% fibre broadband coverage. And it's up to us all to make the most of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for our society and for our economy. So I'll hand over now to Dominic to take you through the details. Dominic you're on mute.
4: Okay, um, thanks Connell uh, Dominic Kearns, Chief Executive of Fibrous and I thank the committee for, for the opportunity today to present to you. Um, Fibrous, as you will know, is a homegrown full fibre broadband operator based in Belfast and over the last two years has recruited over 160 talented and experienced people to our organisation. When we founded this company, our objectives were very clear. We wanted to play our part in bringing the digital infrastructure out of the 20th century and into the 21st. The benefits are endless for this future proof network. But most importantly, and at the heart of this, it creates competition in the market and choice for the consumer. When we began our commercial rollout in late 2019, our our plan was to address over 100 regional and rural towns and villages covering over 150,000 premises. This commitment to our local economy came off the back of the company being bought and capitalised by our investors' infracapital. I'm pleased to say that this project is on course, and this month will have delivered over 35,000 premises with full fibre broadband. In November of last year, we were delighted to sign the contract to deliver Project Stratum for the Executive. This project is a lifeline for so many of our rural dwellers and businesses, and we are now fully focused on delivering for all those people. This project of over 76,000 premises, combined with our commercially funded rollout, brings our total build over the next three years to 225,000 premises, which represents just over 25% of the homes here. In total, this will see 350 million pounds worth of infrastructure investment from Fibrous and the NI executive, making this one of the largest infrastructure investments ever seen here. Recently, and just after three months from contract signature, we connected our first customers to the Stratum network, This was our commitment under the contract to deliver straight away and at pace. Despite operating in a restricted environment because of the pandemic, this was a major milestone for the project and our organization. It put to bed the theory that the industry needed nine months to mobilize before starting the rollout. It's a model for success for these types of projects. Those with the greatest incentive want to get on with it. I am very proud of the commitment and the work of all our people they have worked with the safely and with the project at the forefront of their minds. An element of our approach and a key difference from previous interventions was to ensure transparency of rollout and to let people know exactly when they would receive their service. Our rollout is designed and planned to ensure we reach as many homes as possible and as efficiently as we can. This means that there has to be areas at the end of our rollout our commitment to those areas is that we will be there and deliver on time. With this huge investment creates massive opportunity for the supply chain and the local market. With a bottleneck in specialist fibre resources across Ireland and the UK to deliver this network, our supply chain has created over 250 new jobs of specially trained operatives and project managers. It has also opened a new training and learning centre for graduates and apprentices to harness long-term career and work opportunities in our industry. Full-fiber broadband provides homes and businesses with infinite connectivity to the outside world. It has the ability to change people's lives. Should it be the pupil looking to access their online schoolwork, the graduate being able to apply for a job with a multinational company with the ability to work from home or our elderly having seamless interaction with a doctor via an e-health service. It changes people's lives. For that reason, and the confidence shown by our investors, we're looking at the opportunities to extending our network reach further. The UK government has outlined ambitious targets to be achieved by 2025 under the new program, Project Gigabit. We plan to do our bit to help achieve these targets in Northern Ireland. welcome the new regulated arrangements set out by Ofcom to create this investment environment. Off the back of this, we hope to announce soon an extension of our commercial rollout plan to address more homes and businesses that are in need of this technology. Our organization and our people are committed to delivering transformational change to our digital infrastructure and we very much welcome the opportunity today to give you a sense of our progress to date. So I'd like to invite Colleagues, Steve Edwards and Shane to outline some of that progress. Thank you.
5: Thanks, Dom. Um, Steve Edwards here. Um, just to, first of all, put some, uh, some of the big, scary numbers around uh, the programme that uh, some of you will be aware of. Um, it's a huge task to complete Project Stratum. You can see here, we've got 16,000 kilometers of fiber cable to deploy. We're targeting more than 76,000 premises through the project currently. Um, and, And the project will run over the next three years. We're looking wherever we can to build network using existing infrastructure that improves efficiency and time to deploy and also um, reduces the disruption to local communities. Um, and if you see some of the numbers there, nearly quarter of a million poles that our engineers will need to climb to complete the network. Um, we think that's the equivalent of uh, climbing Mount Everest. And sometimes the project feels like that, but um, it's certainly uh, a great achievement when completed. Looking at the phasing and the rollout plan, as Dom said, we made a commitment to publish our uh, deployment plan early and within, I think, a week of signing the contract, we'd done that Uh, by Christmas. We had a website up and running that um, allowed people to go on, put postcodes in and see when they will um, benefit from Project Stratum. Now, part of that commitment is also that this will change. So um, we wanted to be transparent. We wanted to, um, to 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 show people where and when the network would be built, but also when it changes, we'll tell we'll tell communities, we'll tell yourselves why it's changed, and we'll explain um, why that is happening. And that's part of our ongoing commitment. Um, to to you and to the communities that we're serving. You can see on the map we've d- divided the project into a, into 52 phases. Uh, each of them uh, as published on the website have a have a delivery date assigned to them based on the colors that you can see on the map. We often get asked why we've chosen to deploy in the order that we have. And there are three things that that dictate that deployment plan? First of all, the engineering. We obviously have to deploy this network in an efficient manner and uh, use of existing infrastructure, the condition of that infrastructure and the location of the backhaul plays a big part in, in determining the rollout plan. Secondly, economic considerations. We're using public money to build this network. We have to do it efficiently. We have to do it in a way that um, manages that cost and gets the best benefit for the public investment, and finally, time to deploy. We have to deploy this network by march twenty twenty four and therefore we have to do it in a way that maximizes the resources available to us and allows us to complete that rollout by the deadline. So it's really about the 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 efficiency of deployment, the time to deploy. And all driven by delivering as many premises as early as possible um, in order to deliver Project Stratum. So how are we doing? Um, we, we've got this slide, we call this slide, the first 130 days. Don mentioned that we, um, we set out with a huge ambition to, to uh, uh, do something called a vertical takeoff which meant that we actually started building the network the day the contract was signed. The picture on this slide shows the first poll going up, and this is on the day, actually, while the contract was being signed, this poll was being put up, and we've continued at that pace since. It's really extraordinary how fast we've been able to mobilise and, 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 and get the programme going, and that's driven by our incentives, it's a shared incentive with ourselves and DfE to deploy this network as quickly as we possibly can. Um, it, it won't it won't be lost on some of you that often um, in industry and most of the BDUK projects that we're aware of, there's a six to nine month gap between contract signature and the first uh, customers going live. Um, our first customers went live um, 96 days after contract signature and, um, we've now completed nearly 1500 premises, um, uh, already by the end of March where we've achieved that first quarterly milestone. We're already building, um, across, uh, I think it's now five areas. We're um, around 6,000 premises in build in Co Island, Killile, Ballycastle, Kilkeel, Cassamwell, and Warren Point. And the remainder of the phases to be completed in 2021 are now in planning and survey stage. And the high level design for all of those um, around 20,000 premises to be delivered in, uh, or 19,000 premises to be delivered in 2021, is, is now completed. And as you can see on the slide, we've already um, installed over 20 kilometres of new duct. We've, we've placed new, pole, new fibrous poles around 1,400 and 335 kilometres of fibre cable installed already. In doing this, um, Mobilization and rapid deployment where we're looking at the benefits delivered to the economy. And in particular jobs and skills, you can see from the slide here, some of our partners uh, integral who plan and design the network for us and Charles brand who complete the, uh, the fiber and uh, uh, civil works. Viber optics are a partner of ours who bring on people train. Uh, train people for those uh, technical engineering skills that we use in the program. And not shown on this slide currently, uh, we're now we've now brought on board a second supplier, um, which is uh, KN. As some of you will be aware, and uh, they're now underway as well. So so far, Fibreis themselves have recruited one hundred and thirty-six new roles. Fibre Optics have now got one hundred and seventy-two people in their program. And Charles Brand of well over fifty new roles completed date, so the economic benefits of the program are starting to be seen already um, we're also on track to meet our social commitments uh, with new new engineering new new entrant trainees we've committed to deliver two thousand six hundred or more hours uh, uh, weeks of training over the course of the program and um A large number of those roles will be in technical um, and high-quality roles in the design, build and operation of the network. Um, And we're on track at the moment in delivering that commitment. Quickly looking at how we're managing the risks and and, and managing the project generally, um, Connell mentioned... um, the way that we're working well with uh, the DfE team, with Nigel and, and the team. Um, and we're looking very closely at uh, risks in the project. Um, and some of these are shared risks, as you can see here, um, the obvious ones, COVID and Brexit, uh, we have had some issues, um, but all of those have been, have been overcome um as you can imagine working relationships have working arrangements have been impacted um, on uh due to covid uh we've been affected in 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 terms of the crew sizes and proximity of working we've overcome this by increasing the number of crews deployed uh, on the network with brexit we have had some issues with materials delivery we took uh, action very early in the program to secure uh, materials for the large items um, that, we, that we may have expected to have delivery issues with. We have since had some additional issues with some smaller components, uh, which, which we've managed to overcome. And it's not entirely clear whether those um, supply issues are Brexit-related or COVID-related, because obviously down the supply chain, um, the manufacturers um, and distributors are also affected by COVID. The third large area of risk to the program is the, um, the use of existing infrastructure. Um, we are working very closely with OpenReach, whose network we are using for a large part of the deployment. Um, we do have um, some concerns over the, some of the times quoted for pole replacements, but we haven't had any major impacts to the program at this stage. Uh, it continues to be an area of focus for us. Um, And the process for PIA still remains rather clunky, but we are very pleased that Openreach are responding positively and also considering initiatives to uh, adapt and address uh, large-scale deployments of uh, uh, using uh, passive infrastructure access. And um, uh, we're very pleased that Openreach are responding positively to those suggestions. It's clearly in the interest of all parties that, that Stratum is a success. Um, Stratum, in its use of uh, OpenReach infrastructure, will sort of be a benchmark for the ambitions of the UK in terms of its gigabit ambitions, uh, where similar deployments will be necessary in order for the UK to meet those targets. So we're very aware that Stratum needs to be successful to prove that case. And as I said, um, we, we've, we're working closely on these and, and, and programme governance with the DfE team. We, um, we value the, the um, scrutiny and help that DfE have given us um, so far. Um, we're very aware this is a public funded contract, hence um, we've taken measures to ensure transparency and we welcome that scrutiny. Um, and we also recognize the importance of, of this program to the community. So I want to continue to share with you our deployment plans as it changes and adapts and we'll keep everybody informed as we progress And on, on that note, uh, Shane will take us through the stakeholder and comms program.
6: Thanks Steve. Uh, hi everyone uh, shane Haslam, uh, project and commercial director with fibrous uh, i'm going to take you through uh, the progress that's been made thus far in relation to stakeholder and comms for project Stratum. so uh, if i if i could maybe start uh, by following on from the comments made by colleagues in relation to the approach that that has driven how we've uh, approached effectively the build uh, from a Project Stratum perspective, but more importantly, how we liaise with communities and stakeholders during that build itself. That's at the forefront of our thinking uh, as we approach uh, the build. Uh, As part of our solution, uh, we developed a robust uh, stakeholder and communications plan uh, that has been scrutinised by our colleagues in DfE, uh, and I'm pleased to say that that uh, stakeholder and communications plan is now in full operation. Uh, If I I could draw your attention to, uh, first of all, chat about the the brand effectively, we've deployed a new brand uh, for Project Stratum, uh, which is known as Hyperfast NI. Uh, All information relating to the build and updates within the project will be provided effectively under this brand uh, to the market itself. You'll see on the right hand of the slide some of the artwork that we've used thus far you know, the brand focuses on delivering high-speed broadband to rural communities across NI, and and the banner that we've used with the Rural Revolution pretty much sums up, you know, our approach to to Project Stratum and what Project Stratum is going to effectively mean. We understand the importance of delivering high-speed broadband uh, across rural parts of NI, and and the differences effectively that that will make to rural communities, uh, both in terms of how they live and work uh, on a daily basis. Uh, In terms of the Hyperfast website on the left-hand side, uh, we've done a a significant amount of development work over the last number of months. We launched the website in December of of last year, uh, just after signing the contract itself, pretty much in the spirit that you know, where we're delivering uh, connectivity from a Project Stratum perspective, that that's a source whereby uh, u- users and communities effectively can engage with us to understand when Project Stratum is coming to their area, but more importantly, when it's going to be delivered effectively and when the services will be made available. This, is all, this offers a completely transparent view of the rollout as the project itself progresses. Uh, I'm pleased to say that the, the website itself continues to be developed, and we're actually just about to launch a, a new version, effectively, of the website, which will provide lots more information in terms of how the project itself is progressing uh, and uh, and changes to uh, how we are uh, updating uh, uh, Connectivity from a from a customer perspective, uh, we've worked very closely with the DFE team uh, to ensure that the information that we provide on the website itself, using our our address checker, operates at a at a per premise address perspective. Uh, what that effectively means is, you know, the public can effectively connect into the website itself, put in the location where they're where they're based, and then they'll get a result in terms of when we hope uh, Project Stratum to, to deliver connectivity within their area. Uh, as the guys had said previously, this is completely and totally alien to projects of this type. Uh, our, our focus is all about transparency to ensure that as the project itself progresses, that uh, we, we're able to provide those updates on a, on a timely basis and, and communities and and, uh, and users can, can get that access uh, pretty much at the touch of a button. Okay. So if you could just move on. OK, so I'm going to chat a little bit about, about the, the engagement and inquiries. So uh, obviously, we, we liaise with the public through all of the usual social media channels. And at this stage, we've a uh, dedicated uh, stakeholder manager in place. Uh, we've dealt with over 1,900 inquiries to date and have held over 40-plus meetings with MLAs, MPs, and councillors on the project stratum project thus far. Uh, pleased to say we've recruited our first uh, Fibre ambassador, uh, whose important job will be to work with local communities to create awareness and provide updates before and during build uh, to ensure that, obviously, as the build progresses, that, that it's dealt with on a smooth basis, that we keep the communities abreast of how the project itself is being delivered within those communities, deal with inquiries as those inquiries come in uh, to ensure that the project itself obviously runs smoothly. Uh, They'll also liaise with obviously local planning and environmental agencies such as the rural community networks as required we've during lockdown uh, had to operate uh, in a slightly different uh, different mode as we all have uh, using using virtual connectivity and i'm pleased to say that you know we've already initiated uh, a number of virtual uh, awareness events uh, where we've held it within the areas that we are either building or going to build uh, uh we've held those 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 virtual events to provide an update on Project Stratum, on what Project Stratum is all about, the differences that it's going to make obviously within those communities and when we're hoping obviously to go to those communities to build. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that the 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 reaction that we've seen thus far in terms of attendees has been has been really impressive and, and we're pleased with the with the interest thus far. Uh, we, and, as we move, it, move into April, we have another five uh, virtual events that are, that are pending for to be completed in April. Uh, we've initiated discussions with various parties relating to digital inclusion activities, uh, and we hope to uh, progress those discussions in further detail over the coming weeks and months. And as part of our, our promise under Project SATAM, we have committed to uh, volunteering uh, and again, I'm pleased to say that from, from our perspective, we have uh, uh, toned up just over 30 plus hours to date of, of uh, volunteering in relation to digital inclusion and within our, uh, our own virtual events that have been completed thus far. Uh, as far as the, uh, the fiber ambassadors are concerned, uh, they'll also liaise with your rural community networks. So we've been liaising. You'll see a number of them listed on the, uh, on the slide uh, where we would liaise with you know, the environmental agencies, the local squirrels and so on and so forth to ensure that you know, any work that we're completing within the areas itself is dealt with on a timely basis. And we take into account, obviously, the, the, a lot of the additional uh, requirements required in order to, to, to provide the connectivity on time. Okay, so that's me, folks. Uh, I'll move on to questions and answers for the group.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, Are officials making any statement at this point, or are we moving straight into Q&A?
7: Content to move into Q&A, Chair, if if you're content. Thank
0: you. Thank you. I just have, I have a, a couple of quick questions for Fribus, First of all, um, and thanks very much for the update and um, and the the briefing around the rollout. It, it, it is useful to get that, and and I'm one of those MLAs that have has met uh, with you to talk about the rollout in, in my own constituency area, um, and just supposed to go back to the the uh, the briefing paper we got from the department about project stratum and the rollout and you referred to it there in your your briefing as well Um, that there have been some issues in terms of being able to access the existing open reach network um how significant are those issues and do you see that impacting um to any uh, particular degree on the the time scale for rollout
5: I'll take that one okay, Yeah. The um yeah, first of all, we haven't hit any 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 uh, issues yet. It's an area that we're worried about because it's uh, an area that we're very dependent on OpenREACH to do something called network adjustments. Um but we're very pleased with the response that we've had from OpenReach. Uh, we've met OpenReach at a very senior level and they're listening to uh, ideas. Um, and, and making changes to, to help us and, and help other operators who are deploying on, on PIA yeah, using, using Openreach infrastructure. So um, you know, we've, had, we've had some individual areas where we, we've got long lead times, but that's to be expected. And so far, no delay, no delay to our program at all. Fibre have a very good working relationship with, with Openreach, and that's uh, proving to be very useful.
0: Okay, thanks for that. And I suppose, can I just ask a question about how you decided which areas would be rolled out in that order? Because that—that's something as you will understand, um, constituents are, are particularly exercised about, especially if they are, um, you know, later in in the planned rollout. So, how was the decision about which premises or which areas um, would be rolled out first reached?
5: okay so i think i said in uh, in, in my part that there are three there are three things that drive that order of deployment first the engineering then the economics value for money and third the you know the time to deploy and the use of resources we're always focused on trying to deliver as many premises as we can in as short a time as possible and clearly we have to deliver the whole program by march 2024 that's very challenging. So we have to deploy in an order that's dictated by the engineering, the economic and efficiency delivery, and the efficient use of resources. And that's how we've come up with the order that we have.
0: OK, so well, what what does that mean in, in practicality? Is it the easiest areas first, or the more difficult ones, or, or is there a mix?
5: Yeah, it, it is, there is a mix, and when we, we're, not, we're not doing the easy premises first. So when we do an area, um, we've divided the, the, the deployment into 52 areas. That's based on the technology that we're deploying. But we're doing all the premises in that area um, within that phase. So the hardest to reach, as well as the closest to the network, the easiest to reach, are being done at the same time. It's just that the logical phasing of which geographies we're active in at, at any point in the programme, we have to have. You know, we have to have a, um, a deployment sequence, and we've developed the best possible deployment sequence to ensure that we deliver all the premises by March two thousand and twenty-four. Just to add to that, Steve, if I may, uh, it was important that
7: the department uh, didn't influence any of the bidders under Project Stratum in the ITD documentation, but did influence the pace uh, so that, um, as uh, uh, Mr. Edwards states, we could get to as many premises as possible with the available public funding. But we've considered and still do consider the entire intervention area to be a priority as uh, more than two-thirds can't access speeds of 15, let alone 30 uh, megabits. So the the race is on really for fibrous to complete the intervention in that, the constraints of that time timeframe, um, which has dictated, dictated the engineering of the 52 areas in, in the way that uh, Steve has described.
3: Okay. Just uh, through the chair, again, just to be at, at a conceptual level, um, we said in our bid, and we, we act all day, every day, the only rationale we are using for rollout is efficiency. So we're not targeting any particular part of Northern Ireland, any particular type of premises. There's nothing else other than efficient rollout of premises. Um, And whilst we're happy to work with elected reps and with uh, community engagement groups to discuss that rollout and show people how that rollout is progressing, I would want to say that we're not really open for business to renegotiate that. It's, it's, It's a crucial part of the rollout plan that we keep it locked in the way it is because that is the most efficient way to do it. And that um, these projects can get sidelined by people looking to, you know, you know, as as you can imagine, like people looking to move themselves or their interest or somebody else up the queue. We're not going to do that. We're going to stick with the program at its most efficient because efficient delivery of the whole project delivers the maximum benefit in the most at the most rapid amount of time.
0: No, and I think that um, as committee members and elected reps, we we will appreciate that. And um, I think the the issue is understanding what drives that efficiency so that we can effectively communicate that to to our constituents. So I think it is important that we understand what is meant by efficiency so that when people are coming to us and saying, well, why am I not getting uh, connected to 2023, that we are able to uh, effectively explain
3: yeah, and we, 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 we're available at all times. If, if, if our answers aren't satisfying any members here today, we're available at all times to work individually with members or with groups to walk through at a general level and on the ground exactly how that how that actually manifests itself. I simply wanted to say that that it is the primary and the sole rationale for our rollout plan. Thanks.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, and I suppose just to pick up on a, another point, um, we are aware from the, the outset of the project um, that there are an additional 2,500 premises not initially included, uh, but I understand from conversations with fibrous that those are still being included in the, the address checker, um, so are they included in the planned Based rollout as it stands at the minute, in terms of the colour-coded map that you have um, presented today, and I suppose in terms of the conversations you're having with elected reps, are those premises included in that rollout plan? Uh, don't
4: take on here.
5: Yeah, yeah. So, so um, the all the premises. Um, are included in the address checker. So, you, so, so if somebody puts their postcode and address in, they'll see their status. If they're in the 2517, which are the premises that that we're not currently um, scheduled to deploy to, then they'll they'll get that message, so they'll be able to see that they're in that category of premise, if you will. We, um, we're currently working um, with DfE to bring those premises into the programme, and we have proposals Um, being prepared um, now that will will allow those to be brought into the programme.
7: And just to add to that uh, chair we, we hope by the uh, through the summer period to uh, draw final conclusions through further engagement with uh, dcms uh, in order to secure additional funding under the headroom funding provision to bring those premises into scope that's always been the intention to maximize coverage um, network build costs are significant and certainly uh, for a startup which fibrous is. There are significant costs. So the $165 million um, was never a budget. It was a significant sum of money to address a problem. Um, so further funding is required to uh, to complete that task and to address some of the particularly hard-to-reach premises. So it remains our aspiration not to not to leave any eligible premises behind.
0: Okay. Um, and this was just a final question for me, and this is probably more for um, department officials. But we, we know that there were... I think something in the region of 18,000 premises de-scoped from the original intervention area. So, just as opposed to understand what work is being done by the department to ensure that you know, high-speed broadband or super-fast broadband is being delivered to those premises in, alongside the rollout of Project Stratum. And I know that uh, yesterday there was press about Openreach having 100 million of investment um in broadband as well uh, does the department have any engagement in terms of how that is being rolled out um to ensure that all of those um who don't currently have access to to the the, the 30 mega or, or at this moment in time are actually going to get it
7: yes so colleagues may wish to add to this uh, chair but um we certainly think it's important as the department to engage positively and transparently with uh, all telecoms infrastructure providers, so BT Openreach, fibres of course, Virgin Media, and there's been a significant amount of very welcome investment um, some of which was announced this week by OpenReach, which is good news for the citizen and for businesses. Um, we're very much focused on that 10, 11% of premises in Northern Ireland that uh, uh, do not benefit from, at the moment, access to gigabit-capable broadband, and we're uh, aiming to close that connectivity gap through Project Stratum. So the data landscape uh, is and has been a complicated one, but it, uh, naturally there there is a, an extent of an evolving landscape, but the premises that were de-scoped, that, uh, you 'd referenced were descoped uh, at the beginning of the ITT process, and that was as a result of a, a data refresh exercise uh, by uh, a, a national, on a national level by a major infrastructure provider um, and we took the opportunity to reach out to other bidders at the project at the time to update data so nineteen thousand premises were descoped uh, the majority of those as a result of that national data refresh exercise because uh, the supplier indicated that premises could or would soon be able to access uh, next generation access broadband. Now, we we have identified there are some premises that we will uh, need to uh, make clarifications with through further engagement with uh, that supplier, which we're in the process of addressing. Um, It's also important, I think, to point out that uh, there have since the contractor was awarded, and uh, I think this is testament to the transparency that Fibus uh, were talking about, and uh, we certainly commend uh, the efforts of Connell, Dominic, Steve, and the team um, under Shane as well, uh, because that transparency has resulted in a postcode checker that was widely publicised. And there's very strong community engagement from Fibrous and a great spirit of endeavor and can do, which we greatly appreciate. But we've uh, identified between ourselves and through working with colleagues at Land and Property Services that there would uh, appear to be what we could describe as some gaps in the pointed data set, which was used to inform the intervention area for Project Stratum. So we're working through those issues but we would encourage any citizens or indeed local councils to notify us of, uh, if you feel there are premises that are currently not captured on the hyperfast uh, address checker um, if for example a property that has been occupied for a number of years uh, it has neighbors who are in the project stratum intervention area there is a, a possibility that the the data anomalies i've described associated with the pointer data set uh, might uh, require that premises to be folded into the project under the state aid rules that allow any white postcode uh, premises that are deemed to be eligible uh, to benefit from the intervention. So we're focusing on those issues and working through those with Fibrous and uh, with colleagues at LPS uh, with one um, purpose in mind, to ensure that any eligible premises are not left behind uh, are uh, hopefully benefiting from this project subject to uh, the confirmation of that uh, headroom funding and VFM uh, considerations, but that's certainly that's certainly the aim, be it premises that were descoped as a result of a data refresh exercise, or premises that uh, find themselves uh, not uh, receiving a certain classification on pointer.
0: Thanks for that, Nigel, because certainly I know of um, colleagues who have been contacted by constituents in in that situation where neighbours are within the intervention area and they aren't and they feel they should be um, and it would be, I suppose, useful for those people to ensure that they are in contact with the department um, uh, just to make them aware of that and I suppose then to get an understanding of whether they, they should be within the intervention area or they are... Uh, in that category of premises that were de-scoped. And if so, then I suppose we need to be also putting pressure on those infrastructure providers to to ensure that those premises are commercially um, connected over the next short while as well. So uh, I think it is important that we get a full understanding of of the data in respect of that as quickly as possible. I'm just going to bring in um, other members for questions. Can we bring Stuart into the spotlight, please?
8: Um, Thank you very much Chair, Um, just a few questions for you and thank you very much for the information which you provided which has been very helpful to us. Just to continue on from the question that the Chair has been asking, what's the commercial threshold um, for someone who's uh, not currently in your plans, but might find themselves next door or, immediate, or immediately adjacent, uh, new properties popping up and things like that. So, what's the commercial threshold for you to uh, provide service to somebody in those circumstances? Um, secondly, can I ask you? Um, yeah, and I think I've asked this question before, but now that things are underway, it, it might be clearer. Are, are there any cross border opportunities or implications for the work that you're doing? And are there points uh, where you're providing or proposing to provide service where that would be easier provided by uh, cooperation with uh, providers in the Republic of Ireland rather than in Northern Ireland? Um, Secondly, and I think you you really have probably answered this question, I wholly understand the efficiency of rollout, but it may be that you will have two areas side by side. But that the efficiency might dictate that if you haven't got the appropriate uh, way leaves or permissions or uh, the processes aren't in place to deliver in one patch, is it possible to hop over and do another one? Uh, do you have, in other words, do you have some flexibility rather than actually asking for you to do things? But I just want to know what the flexibility is in relation to the efficiency of, of the, 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 the rollout. Um, and finally. Uh, While I wholly understand that you are not providing a service in areas where other providers operate, can I clarify for a number of constituents for whom there are microwave links available in their area, uh, do they count as as services that you will not be competing against or um, is it only fixed line services and therefore if there is only a microwave link in an area then fibrous is, is, is possible? Thank you very much Chair. Um,
3: so the commercial threshold, we will endeavour um, to connect premises that we can commercially. I'm not going to disclose what that threshold is but there, there, there may well be premises that we can acquire. I'll the network out that we will pass on the way. We will try our best to pick up as many premises as possible. But if they're not economic, they're not economic. But the rubric of the project is that all the all the uneconomic premises are swept up by stratum. And as Nigel said, uh, there, there are some anomalies in the model, but, but most premises should be economic once stratum is delivered. Um, so we would be confident that between stratum, clearing up the anomalies, dealing with the final two and a half thousand, and, and, and being able to increasingly connect premises because we've got a deeper a more prolific, uh, widespread network, that most premises will find a solution over a reasonably short period of time. In terms of cross-border, it, 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 you, members may be aware that I actually ran the business that won the National Broadband Plan, in the republic I have a good understanding of that network. What I would say is that network is not at the stage of development where you could work with it yet, to your left with the incumbent network, Aircom. Um, we have actually a good relationship with Aircom, the opportunity exists there's no political or legal or regulatory barrier to it the barriers are actually just design and network implementation different types of protocols different mm-hmm. uh, th- different technologies and stuff so um we could do that if we felt the need to do it as it stands today we haven't felt the need to do it but we do have a good relationship with both of the major network operators that you'll find uh, south of the border air and mbi
4: um, in Go down. Yeah. I'm just going to address that the last two points that this year raised around, you know, picking up as many premises as we can. We, as part of our bid, we we identified I'm not sure the exact number. I think it's between 20 and 25,000 grey premises that, that we could uh, pick up as as we passed them with the Stratum network, and this this formed part of our business case uh, when we bid. Um, so, yes, we, we will pick up as, as many as we can. Um, and then, on the last point around people that currently have, have a, perhaps a microwave service, tends to be the people that we will be addressing under this, this project. And, um, um, you know, any, anyone that has that microwave service will be able to probably in the future. Get get access from from our our uh, service, but I, I should say at this point, for those microwave providers that they do have access to our network to to serve their customers. So they currently have a, a service from from a wires provider, they can continue to get that service from that provider using our technology if they wish. Um, I I think I think
3: the, the member's question about rollout plan was. Uh, was, can we flex the rollout plan if it becomes more efficient to do so? Uh, and I think that's a really important point that, that you've identified there. Um, it, it is true that, if, for instance, as, as you said, if there's a way-leave issue and we can't get to a certain area, we're not going to leave teams standing around doing nothing. We're going to move those teams onto the next available area, and that may well be the adjacent area. So it might be, and I think f- from an elected reps point of view, it's important to say that it might be the plan does change, but it will be changing because of what that which is efficient has changed, if that makes sense.
7: Just to just to add a clarification on the on the microwave link or wireless internet service provider uh, uh, question, I know Fibre has reached out to um, many of the wireless internet service providers or WISPs as we call them. You know, in the, the spirit of uh, of open and transparent engagement, uh, there is a process under state aid rules that require the department to put any citizens who currently avail of a next generation access broadband service, so a service over 30 meg. Uh, into an under review category, uh, which under state aid rules means that the claimed coverage of those WISPs is monitored and measured over a period and that period ends next January, that's three years after public consultation. Um, So that's a process underway. So where we can test the coverage claims made by those uh, WISPs to ensure that the citizens are indeed uh, receiving or have access to NGA services. If they do not, then those premises would be eligible for intervention currently under review Um, and uh, customers, of course, will have uh, a choice in the long term uh, in in terms of uh, providers and the open access network, which will be the result of Project Stratum, will mean customers have a choice through many uh, different providers, not only Fibrous, uh, to receive the the most uh, competitively priced broadband services. Thank you.
0: Can we bring John O'Dowd into the spotlight, please?
9: Uh, Thank you, Chairman, and thank you for your presentation. Uh, which was in itself useful though you know, the role of the committee is to ensure that there's the right policy being pursued by the department and there's value for the public purse. and the role of the committee is to scrutinize and also to support the department in doing that. And while your presentation is useful in the sense of the rollout of the project, uh, I think there's broader and more detailed questions we will have to pursue Uh, Pops out today at a later stage. I I did note in your uh, presentation, in your risk assessment, that uh, rollout plans amendments were low risk. Why are they classified as low risk? Steve? Yeah.
10: Uh,
5: So so that um, table that we showed you there is the risk of, of them occurring and the impact that they may have on the program is considered to be low in comparison to the other to the other risks there will be there will be changes to the implementation plan that's inevitable. Um, you know there's never there's never been a network rolled out like this where we haven't had to where, where anybody hasn't had to change their deployment. The order of deployment and the the uh, the pace of deployment. We we have to ensure that we hit our quarterly premises pass target every quarter. Otherwise, we're not going to hit that March twenty-four deadline. So so that's what we have to do. And if we have to change the plan, then we will we will do that. But we'll minimise how often that happens, and uh, we'll we'll, we'll minimise the effect that that has on the communities. Um, that we're serving but it will I, I guess it will happen at some point
9: premises brought on board would they be mapped up as during that area which may cause a delay to those premises that are at the end of the program in 2023 or how, how would that be dealt because you would imagine if there's a significant number of premises brought on that causes your your plan, your business plan to change, or your delivery plan to change significantly?
5: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yes, the um, if we add as we add more premises into the program, we will need more time to complete those premises. Okay, um, thank you. The program, the program. We don't want to put the program at risk uh, by overstretching you. Okay,
0: thank you. Can we bring Gary into the spotlight, please?
10: Yeah, thanks Chair and obviously thanks to everyone for the presentation. And I do want to put on record obviously, the thanks uh, to yourselves and the stakeholder engagement piece. I, I think it is important that uh, you keep everybody up to date and certainly from our own office perspective. Uh, we are grateful for some of the questions that we have raised and answers that uh, we have received. Um, and, and two questions I suppose from my point of view. Uh, the first one is around those who have already uh, benefited from this project, and also who you've already delivered for, is there feedback in terms of how they are finding this new access that they have. My second point is around the jobs and skills piece. I think it is very welcome that Uh, there there has been a significant element of job creation, uh, which is important given the huge amount of uh, money that's been put into this particular project. Uh, The apprenticeship program itself, you've stated that it's in development, um, and apologies if I have missed this, but in terms of the apprenticeship program, when do you see that been fully, fully rolled out. And how you know, will people be able to access that? And we're going to be able, who, who are you going to work on what to do that? Is it going to be our, our colleges or, or you know, within the education sector. Uh, if you could just give me some information on that, it'd be uh, very good. Thank you. Jane, do you want to take? Um, I'll take,
4: I'll take,
10: I'll take
6: the first one. Uh, Don, that's absolutely fine. So, uh, in terms of, in terms of those that have already from the, the project thus far. Uh, we're due to complete our first our first photography uh, in relation to the rollout itself. Uh, that that's pretty much complete now at this stage for a first handover of services. Uh, the feedback that we've got thus far from our test customers that have been brought on online uh, within the Coal Island area is that you know the, the service has made a significant difference. Uh, to how they, they currently uh, run their daily lives uh, both at, at home working level, uh, for school work and so on and so forth. So the, the initial feedback has been, has, been, has been really positive. And as we now uh, deliver our first premises, uh we're within the co area areas live which we're in the process of, of just completing and, and, and submitting obviously up on our on our hyperfast NI website then we expect obviously for those premises to become ready for service and, and obviously f- be fulfilled from an ordering perspective. But yes the initial the initial feedback is really positive in terms of the speeds and the uh, stability and, and difference that the, the, the service makes. And um, I suppose Guy, then on uh,
4: on uh, on your second point around the, the apprenticeships, um, as, I, as I touched on at the start, we have, um, through our partners in, in fibre optics, have set up a training and a school in Cole Island here. And as I believe it, are working closely with the South West Regional College on accreditations for, for those skilled operatives, those fibre engineering operatives that are critical for, for this um, project. But also Fibrous are, are working closely with, with the colleges as well to ensure that we get that uh, interest from, from the apprenticeships, and um, people are looking for apprenticeships, but also for, from, from a graduate point of view, that we, we can assist those people with career opportunities.
0: okay
2: thank you Can me bring john Stewart into the spotlight please uh thanks chair i've got no camera or no sound so you'll have to hear me and not see me folks if that's okay um can you hear me okay can, john. <laughs> anyway um look folks thanks so much for your presentation today it's been really enlightening and uh congratulations just on the work so far that's been carried out i think it's really just good to see you from from the outset on day one that you were on the ground and getting this um long overdue project um up and running. um and just on behalf of myself and my office and on behalf of my colleagues across the country who have been engaging with you i think all have said to me that they've been very impressed with just how engaging you have been and willing to answer any of the questions and queries that they've had or their constituents have had so um, long may that continue um a couple of most of my issues to be fair have been dealt with already um chair but just a couple of points um in terms of um what, what you maybe described as pinch points and those more congested areas of works taking place how do you go about engaging with communities we often hear where um utilities are being rolled out there can be difficulties on the ground just just wonder how you engage with communities where you, when you're rolling out the the hardware on the grounds um secondly is about um the hardest to reach dwellings i'm just curious to get a feel for those farms that are most isolated and most uh, most away from um, the network itself you know what engagement do you have with individual householders to try and connect them right up and um, finally in terms of ongoing maintenance down the line i'm assuming there will be an element of damage as there is with all networks and what commitment do Fibrous have, and, and funding do you have for ongoing maintenance of the network as time goes by? Thanks, folks, in advance.
4: All right. I, I suppose I, I'll take the first, and, and maybe Steve, you'll take the second around the the hardest, hardest to reach. But in terms of of the pinch points, um, John, and and where where we probably have to to perform some civil work and and um be in those communities and, and where there's, there might be some disruption we we have as shane outlined earlier a, uh, an engagement plan that includes uh, what we refer to as fiber ambassadors and those fiber ambassadors will work closely with the, the local community the local councillors to ensure that the local community knows exactly what's taking place and that where there is disruption that that disruption is, is kept to a minimum and Shane, that, that that in, in terms of, of those fibre ambassadors where these people are currently being recruited at the moment. Yes, the yeah. yeah.
6: That's absolutely right. The, the, the Fibre Ambassadors, uh, we, we, we've got one, one in, in, in situ, and we have further two to be added in, uh, during the month of May. Uh, and their role is so, so important in, in determining how successful we are from a rollout perspective within each of the communities. Their, their job, first of all, is to ensure the communities are kept abreast. Uh, as we go in to, to, to build a network within their areas. But it's also liaising with DFI roads, the D- local planning agencies and so on and so forth, environmental agencies, to ensure that everyone is kept abreast of, of how the build itself is, is being rolled out, what roads are impacted, potentially uh, for things like traffic management and so on and so forth, uh, and, and, and when those those uh, those particular traffic management uh, facilities and stuff that can be put in place to ensure that we can we can build the network obviously on time so as i say a lot a lot of a lot of work uh, has went into uh, building uh, what we believe to be a very robust uh, stakeholder and communications plan uh, and, and i'm pleased as i say, to to report that that's that's now obviously being rolled out in, in full flow uh, for, for any of the geographies that we are currently in and any of the new ones that we're planning
3: The question I'm on, on the air, Stanley, Do you want to take that, or do you want me to take that? You can go for a comment. <laughs> <laughs> Going to explore the limits of my expertise. Um, so, 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 I mean, effectively, the network, um, once built, it, it becomes more, a much more of a commercial entity as opposed to subsidised. I mean, there there is an element of operating cost support in there, but but you know, we will be generating revenue on that network forever. And in order to generate net re- revenue on the network, John, we'll need to keep the network up and running. So it will be in our interest, it will be in commercially in our interest to keep that network up and running. It, it, there are also obligations, for instance, on Openreach, where, as I think we said, uh, we will be using for the vast majority of the distance of this network, we will be utilising Openreach, Openreach's poles and holes. Uh, they will have obligations to us in return for the rent that we will pay them for those poles and holes. So there's a significant service level regime in there, both within the stratum contract, but also necessary to deliver the services that we need to generate the revenue, to generate our return on the network. And then there's a significant obligation on open reach. I don't know if that makes sense, John, does it? Okay,
0: thank you. Um, can we bring Sinead into the spotlight, please?
11: Uh, good good morning, everyone. Or is it good morning? Yeah, just about. Um, uh, thank you very much for your presentation and your update to both uh, the department team and to the, the Fibres team. And I have to say, it's pretty impressive, the scaling up and, uh, and the speed of the scaling up uh, for Fibres itself. So well done to, to all of the team. And um, I really do uh, welcome uh, the engagement that has taken place as well within the website and the postcode checker, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, that that that's good work. Whenever um, the, some of the figures earlier on we talked about um, 35,000 premises have been covered to date. What does that mean? Does that mean that they are actually up and running now? The fibers there, and they're able to access um, broadband speeds uh, that are greater, or, or what? Just technically, does thirty-five thousand um, premises mean? Because I mean, that's pretty significant rollout in a very short space of time. And then the other, the other question that I want to ask is. Um, in relation to the 2,517 premises that are not currently scheduled uh, for uh, deployment, uh, what, what, will that, what will the impact of that mean in, in, ti- in terms of the timing um, of, of the rollout? Will that put back uh, delivery in any aspect or will that be able to be just rolled on within the current timeframe? Um I'm just quite interested in that aspect. And then the, the, the final uh, question is um, again it's really about you know um the scaling up. Have you had difficulties in recruitment? Have you had any difficulties in the skill sets that you require? Um, and Or or is, uh, has it been a good recruitment process with, with, with plenty of people uh, with the appropriate skills available to you? Just uh, out of interest um, regarding all of, the, all of the recruitment process. Thank you.
4: Mm-hmm. All right, um, just, I, I'll address the first point and, and i and, and, and Connell on, on the scaling up. So in terms of the 35,000 premises that were mentioned earlier, uh, Sinead, those are commercially delivered premises that, that we have delivered over the last year and a half as part of our own commercially funded program. And I think that's important to say that aside from Project Stratum, um, we have, um, which we have termed our own, project Project Acorn, 150,000 premises in scope to be delivered over the next two and a half to three years. And of that we've delivered 35. So as of today, there's 35,000 homes and businesses here that can access a full fiber broadband, And many of those, as I said earlier, are rural and regional parts um, of NI, um, typically those that have been underserved with, with connectivity before. Um, So on on the 2517, Steve, you maybe can can explain the process of how those would be introduced to the rollout and how it it wouldn't actually impact the the delivery of the programme.
5: Yeah, so um, as as you've seen, the programme that we've currently got to deliver Stratton by March 2024 is very tight, very ambitious, and um, we, we can't add too much more into that. So, then if, we, if we can um, get to the point where we, ha- we add in the 2517, then we will need extra time on the end of the programme to deliver those premises. Um, we'll obviously be looking at ways to deliver um, some of them as early as we can, but inevitably, we'll need more time on the end of the programme.
4: Um, yeah, Colin, you're
3: going to take the scaling up and the scale. Yeah, Sinead, that's a really good question, and um, you know, we, we, I mean, I think um, somebody earlier referred to us as a startup. We are a startup, but but I think the experience within the organisation is significant. You know, uh, across the team that you've covered today, but but well beyond that. So we we, we there are clearly challenges associated with creating a, a, a machine of this size and scale from a standing start. Um, but we we are getting through it. We're getting it done. We've recruited. We've had. I have to say, we've had a great time in terms of recruiting the Fibres team. The quality of team that we've been able to grow has been outstanding. I'm genuinely impressed with the quality, calibre and the commitment. Um, And in terms of bringing in the skills, there there, there definitely aren't enough skills in the market to build Fibre Networks as it stands today. So we've embarked on a very clear and very structured program of growing our own and providing our own uh, training and development for people within with, with, uh, through that uh, a lot of it through uh, that company fiber optics that we spoke about before but our other um, network partners in charge brand and the KN are also heavily invested in developing and training people so has it been easy no are we worried that we're not going to get it done no you know we, 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 we think you know it, it's good. Uh, and we also think that we'll end up having built this project with a with a really really world-class broadband company uh, built and based here okay well, thank you
0: um, i think everybody who has wanted to ask questions has now um done so so look thank you very much for the update i'm sure at some point in the, in the future we'll want to get a further briefing um, to get a feel for how things are progressing. But um, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Um, We are moving back into closed session. um, (laughs) For our next agenda item. So thank you all. Thank you committee. Bye
1: bye. Northern Ireland Assembly committee room 30.
0: Okay. um, so we're moving on then to item number five, which is chairs business.
1: So, Tommy if you bring everybody up into the spotlight please thank
0: Okay, you. thank you.. We're okay. So uh, 5.1 then at um, there's correspondence at page 50 of your pack between um, the chair and the minister regarding the economic recovery action plan and the importance of a collective approach across the executive to economic recovery, so I just wanted to seek members' agreement to schedule a uh, ministerial briefing on the um, economic recovery plan. Are members content to do that? Yep. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you. Moving on then to 5.2 at page 54 of the pack, um, members will remember that we had asked uh, Peter to mm-hmm. do a meeting with Include Youth regarding essential skills and we then had further correspondence from Include Youth around their STRIVE programme and around yeah. peace funding. Peace funding as well, so and yeah. so Peter has discussed these, these various issues with um, Include Youth and there is a, a readout of the meeting there in the packs. but Peter's going to speak to this as well.
1: <coughs> we have chaired the Include Youth Essential Skills programme is um, undertaken across ten sites and for the, the past three years they have had funding from the Lottery but the lottery won't do a fourth funding award. So essentially the funding for these programmes will run out in December. What they're seeking is is some core funding from the department. They estimate the cost at about 300k a year. So that would be 900k over a three year period. Um, What we we sort of looked at was how this fits into the department's wider um, skills programme and the idea of trying to bridge the skills gap. So really what Include Youth is, is doing is reaching the young people who are not part of the, the mainstream system, if you like. They, they've they not um, come out of school with qualifications and they're not engaged in FE or HE. So it's, it's bringing the essential skills to them so they get half a day uh, a week on each of numeracy, literacy and ICT and it means it brings it right down into their communities. So it's Easily accessible, it's not intimidating, and the, the whole basis of the design is to really give the skills to the young people who, who have not been able to engage with traditional educational models. So, Chair, what what I had sort of thought and, and the, the Strive and Peace programs as well is they're they're doing a lot of work that is complementing what the department already funds. It's just they're doing it at a much I suppose, granular, that new word, granular level, they're doing it within communities so it's it's that filling the gap it's that bridging the gap with skills um, and really what they're asking for is that funding to be mainstreamed and, and part of the department's programme for skills and to be core funded. So the suggestion, Chair, is um, to, to potentially write to the minister and see if that's something the department would look at being able to do because it's as I say, it's, it's getting those skills programmes into the places where the department's mainstream programmes don't reach.
0: Yeah, so our members content that we would do that, um, and I, I I know various members will be aware of, of the types of skills programmes that are being delivered by Include Youth and, and other organisations, and they are, are really important in terms of reaching those young people. who who haven't been able to engage with mainstream education for for whatever reason. Um, Peter, it might also be useful for us to copy that correspondence to the education and health committees because I think they also have, or those departments also would have some interest or role in relation to these types of programmes as well.
1: Yeah, sure. That that's something I should have mentioned. Uh, include youth have in, engaged with both those departments. Again, there is funding available in both of them for essential skills. Uh, potentially, you could also look at communities as well, but it's it's getting that cross-departmental um, work so that all of the, the people who need this support are identified in a more um, holistic way.
0: Should we also then copy it I to the Education and Health and Community Ministers?
1: I think that's probably the best way to go about that, Chair.
0: Are members Um, content that we we do that?
1: Yep, thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, so moving on then to 5.3, there is a Clerk's Memo at page 59 of the pack summarising the informal meeting with um, Ulster University's Vice-Chancellor. There are some issues there that members will be familiar with. We had a good discussion around um, planning for when campus is able to reopen, some issues to do with Um, admissions for next year and and I suppose more more generally looking slightly longer term um, around the the sustainable funding models and and things like that that members will all all be very um, aware of anyway Peter there it might also be useful for us to engage with the the colleges around um, assessments and admissions because we know the Minister announced there would be no formal exams, so just to see, get some feedback from the colleges around the awarding process and um, admissions for the next academic year as well.
1: I think probably the fastest way to get that done is do it on the same basis as the universities and and bring them in for an informal, probably get that done pretty quickly and it'll give members Mm -hmm. that fully rounded picture.
0: Members content that we would do that? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And then, Chair, sorry, sorry,
11: Chair, can I ask a question? There, when was the last time the minister actually came towards the, or came to committee? I think it was, it was before Christmas. It was
1: the last meeting before Christmas, so we're we're going to schedule in um, Minister to come to talk to us about the economic, economic recovery, recovery action plan. plan. Um, so hopefully, we'll and get that then, done Do you fast. think that
11: she's going to get, or going to take her to in front of the committee?
1: Well, we 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 put in our request. That's that's usually how we do. We make the request that the committee's agreed to get uh, the minister in to talk about that. So I'm hoping we can do that fairly quickly.
11: Yeah, because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of issues now that we just need direct answers. Even some of this around um, her engagement with the universities in relation to you know accommodation, um, obviously student funding and everything else. But it it would be um, opportune now. I think. For her to come uh in front of the committee in 2021 since we haven't seen her since last year thanks
0: thank you so moving on into 5.4 um there is a report the ni college of the future report at page 63 of your pack this is a, a uk-wide initiative to plan for the future needs of colleges from 20 from 2030 onwards so this is obviously something that the committee has, would want to have a look at, um, since it really fits in with our work around the skills strategy. So it's just for members to note at this stage, and we'll bring it back with yeah, the chair. Other once we work. see
1: the skills strategy and also once we start talking right. about the FE and HE reviews uh, and the level four and five review, this should be quite useful because it, it does project into the future about where our gaps are and the sort of model we need, we need to look at. It is maybe also worth members reflecting on the stakeholder group between FE and HE and the discussions they are having around a more integrated and collaborative approach to education provision.
0: Thanks, Peter. Okay, so We are moving on then to item number seven, which is no, we're not. We're moving to... No, we're
1: going to go, Chair, to um, item number... Nine. Nine, legislation.
0: So we're moving to item number nine, which is the SL1, the Employment Rights NI Order 1996, Protection from Suffering <clears throat> Detriment in Health and Safety Cases Amendment Order NI 2021. There's a clerk's memo at page 546, of your PAC and the SL1 is at page 548. So this uh, legislation would replicate a, a statutory instrument in Britain, the Employment Rights Act 1996 Protection from Detriment in Health and Safety Cases Amendment Order 2021. The amendments to the principal regulations are made necessary as a result of a High Court ruling in the judicial review brought by the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain against the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions and the Health and Safety Executive in Britain in October 2020. In the decision, the Court found that the Health and Safety Framework Directive and the PPE Directive apply to a wider group of workers, not just employees. As a result, changes are necessary to the Employment Rights Act 1996 in Britain and also to the Employment Rights Order 1996 here in the North. So this rule will come into operation on the 31st of may um, and it is subject to confirmatory resolution procedure so this is the committee's opportunity to um to consider the policy as laid out in the sl1 as it's not possible to amend uh, once the rule has been made and laid in the um the assembly business office so our members content with the um with the policy proposal so basically it will provide the same level of protection to the likes of agency workers as it does to employees yeah, so it's this is a positive move. Um
1: also people who are employed on the basis of self-employment, self-employment um, contracts, gig,
0: gig workers contracts. all that kind of thing yeah so are members content with that policy direction
1: yep thank you mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so moving on then to item number 10, there is the SL1 Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 coronavirus suspension of liability for wrongful trading regulations, NI 2021. There is a clerk's memo at page 555 and an SL1 at page 556. This statutory rule is to extend until the 30th of June 2021 a temporary immunity for company directors from being held personally liable as a consequence of decisions to allow companies which are insolvent to continue trading. The rule will come into operation on the 30th of April 2021. It is subject to confirmatory resolution procedure, um, and it is the committee's opportunity to consider the policy as laid out in ASL1, because it is not possible to amend once it has been laid. So this is similar to a number that we've already dealt with in relation to the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act. So are members content with the policy direction? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So moving on then to item number 11, it's the SL1, the administration restrictions on disposal, etc. to connected persons regulations, NI um, 2021. So there's a clerk's memo at page 560 um, and then an SL1 at page 561. This statutory rule is to prevent the company's business or assets being sold or otherwise disposed of um, to anyone connected with the company during the first eight weeks of an administration unless certain conditions are met. The rule will come into operation by June 2021. It's subject to draft affirmative procedure and it's the committee's opportunity to consider the policy um, as laid out in the SL1 Peter, is there anything you want to say about
1: that one? No, Chair, again, this is part of that suite to protect um, companies and directors and so on um, from the normal administration or insolvency processes being um, enacted. It's it's part of the whole kind of COVID protection so that businesses aren't um, being pushed into administration Um under the current sort of restrictions and conditions when they would otherwise be viable. So it allows them to continue to run, whereas previously under uh, the rules that were there before, they would have been forced into administration. So this is just extending this temporary protection.
0: So this is a temporary one as well? Yeah,
1: this is temporary again, Chair.
0: Okay. Okay. That's grand. Are members content then with?
1: Mm. Yep. Thank you.
0: So moving on then to item number 12, there is an SR 2021-000, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 coronavirus change of expiry date in section 32-1 regulations at NI-2021. There's a clerk's memo at page 565 and the SR at page 567. This SR extends by one year until the 29th of April 2022, the period during which the Department Or the British Secretary of State can exercise power under Section 28 of the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 to make regulations. This rule will come into operation on the 29th of April. It is subject to draft affirmative resolution procedure um, and it was debated and affirmed yesterday in the plenary session. So this one is for members to simply note. OK, so we're moving on then to item number 13, which is the SR 2021-73, the Employment Rights Increase of Limits Order NI-2021. There is a Clerk's Memo at page 574 and the SR is at page 576. This statutory rule revises the limits on awards and payments under certain employment rights legislation in line with the rate of inflation. Article 33-2 of the 1999 Order provides the limits on various statutory awards and payments under employment rights legislations are index linked. It requires the Department to modify these limits to reflect the annual percentage change in the Retail Prices Index between one September and the next. In this instance, the Order revises limits in accordance with the change in ERPI from September 2019 to 2020. Article 33 requires the Department to round sums to the nearest whole pound, taking 50p as the next whole pound above. So the rule will come into operation on the 6th of April 2021. The rule is subject to a laying requirement but not any assembly proceedings. Um, the examiner of statutory rules has not yet reported on the rule, so members will be agreeing to the legislation subject to the examiner of statutory rules report. So are members content with the SR and will put the question? The Committee for the Economy has considered the SR 2021-73, the Employment Rights, Increase of Limits Order, Northern Ireland 2021, and has no objection to the rules subject to the Examiner Statutory Rules Report. Thank you. Thank you. So moving on then to item 14, SR 2021-75, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, Coronavirus Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods Regulations, NI 2021. There is a Clerk's Memo at page 585 and the SR at page 586. This statutory rule will extend the period during which some temporary modifications to corporate insolvency legislation that were included in the SIG Act will apply until the 30th of June. The modifications are restrictions on the use of statutory demands and winding up petitions and a small supplier exemption from termination clause provisions. The rule came into operation on the 29th of March. 2021, the rule is subject to lay-in requirement, but not any assembly proceedings. So the um, examiner's statute rules has not reported in this rule, so members will also be agreeing legislation subject to the examiner's report. So if members are content, I'll put the question, that the Committee mm-hmm. for the Economy has considered the SR 2021-75, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 Coronavirus Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods, Regulations Northern Ireland 2021 and is no objection to the rules subject to the Examiner of Statutory Rules Report. So moving on then, item number 15 is the SR 2021-85, the Education, Student Fees and Support Amendment number 2, Regulations NIE 2021. There is a Clerk's Memo at page 593 and the SR at page 595. So, this statutory rule will amend legislation which makes provision about or in connection with student finance. Two sets of student support regulations are amended. Those regulations are the Education Student Support No. 2 regulations, NI 2009, the 2009 regulations, and the Student Fees, Qualifying Courses and Persons regulations, NI 2007, the 2007 QCP regulations and we had sought some clarification members will remember from the department that there will be no change of status for students from the south as home fee payers. we considered the revised sl1 at the meeting on the 23rd of march the rule will come into operation on the 20th of april and it is subject to negative resolution procedure the examiner statutory rules has not yet reported on this rule so members will again be agreeing to the legislation subject to the examiner's report so, our members contempt and we'll put the the question so that the mm-hmm. committee for the economy has considered the SR 2021 85 the education student fees and support amendment number 2 regulations Northern Ireland 2021 and has no objection to the rule subject to the examiner of statutory rules report that's all of our legislation, of the legislation
1: Chair, we have about slightly less than 10 minutes if you want to go back to Manager, Hi,
0: Yeah go ahead John
9: before, before we move off ASRs and ASL1s, has there been any response from the Minister to the correspondence from our last meeting, yeah. uh, asking her to set out uh, SL one or SR to broaden the scope for those students who are entitled to the COVID disruption payments?
1: Chair, we've not yet had a response to that. Um, members also remember we wrote to the Executive about that as well, but neither has responded thus far. Um if members are content we can ask if the um at what point that correspondence with because obviously it, it gets logged within a department and there, there's a like a registered process of of that response being made so we can um bring back information on just exactly where in the process that is. So so is this digital
9: point or I note that NSUI have expressed disappointment that the minister hasn't time in her diary to meet them. Would the committee be agreeable to write to the minister asking her to make space in her diary for a meeting with student unions representatives,
1: CSH and other issues?
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Happy if we can do that. Yep.
0: Are members content? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Moving on then to matters arising at 7.1, page 187 of your pack. There is a response from the minister regarding financial assistance for independent wedding venues. The minister states that wedding venues were eligible for the recently announced £178 million of business support grants from the finance minister, and a further 12 months' rates relief. Um, our members content that we would seek or that we would forward this correspondence on to. Um, wedding venue owners who've contacted the committee. And Peter, can I just add a, an additional point? Um, Being contacted by some travel agents, who they are, they ha- there is the travel agents yeah. scheme now set up, but who aren't able to access the CRBSS um, by some quirk of what is deemed to be the supply chain. So, um, it's something we could seek to write to the minister on because. As we all know, they have been particularly impacted by the the um the pandemic and their very limited ability to trade. So could we seek to raise that issue if members are content? Sure. Thank you. Um at seven point two then page 189 there's a briefing paper from the Department on the twenty twenty one-22 budget. The committee was presented with an overview of the draft budget and the impact for DfE on the 10th of February. The final budget was approved by the Executive on the 1st of April and the DfE budget did not change from the draft position presented to the committee. So are members content that we would seek a briefing on the budget from the Department? Thank you. Okay, moving on. 7.3 at page 194 of your pack. There is a response from the department on how the Community Renewal Fund will be delivered. The, the British government has announced the provision of 220 million through the UK Community Renewal Fund. Um, it's proposed that this will be used in 2021-22 to prepare for the wider UK Shared Prosperity Fund. Delivery will be directly by the British government via the Ministry for Housing, Communities and Local Government. The executive will have no role in determining who receives funding. Applications will be sought directly from any eligible body. Um, there is a divergence between the approach being taken to the delivery in Britain and what is proposed for here in the North. Britain um, will have specified, or sorry, specific designated areas. A hundred are being prioritised for support. A lead authority has been identified in each of these places to assist. But here in the North, in recognition of the limited barriers of our local government sector, this role is being removed. So the Department states that there are clear implications for DfE as the main policy department affected. and As such, we will continue to make representations to the Minister for Housing, Communities and local government in Britain to try to mitigate the risks that we have already highlighted in terms of duplication and funding and misalignment to our programme for government objectives. So our members content that we would seek or that we would share the response with the EU affairs manager and also that we would write to the finance minister to ask about the input that the Department of Finance is having around design and distribution of the Community Renewal Fund and the approach that's being taken in other devolved administrations. And I, I think even from what the Department is saying, there are, are significant concerns as to how this is being rolled out and to basically how the bi- executive is being bypassed in terms of the delivery of funding. And uh, I think that there are implications for devolution um, in the the grander scheme of things with this approach. Um, if I, there any other potential actions, Peter, that we could
1: Look to- well, Chair, I, th- I think the, the very clear issue there is, is as the, the department has highlighted that if they, they don't have a role in the allocation of this money members will be aware that previously ESF funding went through the department therefore it could be aligned with programme for government with other policies and so on whereas with this allocation um, none of that is brought to play and the, the minister has flagged up um, the issues that the executive will have with that, because it 's money flowing in that is is not linked to anything else uh, there is no kind of local input to the criteria or anything like that so it 's hard to see how that money would then feed into wider policy imperatives and i think that's that 's what the departments of the minister has particularly flagged up um, so it it may even be a case too of um, highlighting the issue to the executive, bringing it up at executive level, um, where this is is going to potentially have an impact on, um, you know, funding of policies that previously you, you could have taken for granted that there would have been a role uh, within, obviously, criteria and parameters with EU funding, um, but that, that it fitted local policy imperatives that no longer exist. That, like, no longer exists.
0: Our members content that we would do that that we would write to the executive in relation to the concerns around how this is being delivered thank you okay so moving on then 7.4 at page 196 um, there's a response from the department on the status of maintenance grants the Department states that maintenance grants are demand-led means-tested grants paid for from the Department's resource-style budget and there are no plans currently to review maintenance grants for any domicile students, um, which isn't a very um, welcome response because they have not had any uplift, I think, since 2015 or at least 2015. Um,
1: Chair, part of the, the, the thing around this is there is a scheduled review of um, funding and the, the assumption would be that this would be part and parcel of that um, because if, you, if part of the, the idea behind the um, skills strategy is to broaden, widen, heighten and expand the skills base, then it is going to require a level of funding for um, all kinds of postgraduate study. This was something, actually, a number of years ago that um, Deddy looked at, and it was recognised that you know the funding provided for PhDs and other postgraduate study, the multiplier effect was you know absolutely enormous for that. There's an issue there, Chair, around um, people having that ability to be supported through that postgraduate study that is going to be essential for the um, the, the increased prosperity of the uh, economy. Young people aren't going to be willing to do that if they aren't going to get support. They're going to be forced to go into jobs otherwise because they, they won't be able to get the, the kind of financial support they need. So Chair, the committee has looked at this before and discussed how this needs to be part of that review of funding. We have a funding paper um, for higher education coming at the end of the month and this might be an opportunity to widen out that discussion so that we have something kind of potentially more concrete to give to the minister on that okay chair can i come
9: in yeah
11: go ahead sinead um i I, like i'm sure many other mlas have been contacted by constituents in relation to this um this issue it is really um we lack competitiveness here in, in our ability to retain our students or even attract them back again um, if they've chosen to go to GB universities because of our maintenance grants. So I think you know um, it's incumbent upon when we are doing a review that um, all aspects, um, support and grants are um, put into that review as well. Um, so, so we need to kind of take that on board.
0: Yeah. OK, Peter, well, we'll look to bring it yeah, So, back. Chair, when
1: we bring back the paper, we'll bring this up uh, as an issue. It would be useful to get a, a committee position on this that can then go to the uh, Minister.
0: OK. Uh, members, we're, we're going to have to leave it there for yeah. today, so we're going to deal with the rest of the Absolutely. items by our correspondence. Um, and so, Peter and the team will, will share that later.
1: OK? Yep, Chair, we'll do that.
0: OK, so we'll just move then to... Um, item number 17 any other business none has been indicated so we are then going to go to the date time and place of the next meeting which is next Wednesday the 21st of April in room 30 Um, and just to remind members there is an informal meeting tomorrow morning at 11 with Hospitality Ulster on its recovery action plan so if members are agreed we'll adjourn Thank thank
1: you chair This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30.
10: This is the...